0: Sports professor Rick Haro, and we are keeping score. Let's get right to it. Deal making three to one. Number three, Delta Airlines signed a $400 million combined sponsorship deal with the organizers of the 2028 LA Games and NBC Universal. They replaced United Airlines, which had been a domestic sponsor since 1980, and will continue to hold the category through this year's Tokyo Games. Delta becomes the official airline of Team USA. And the 2028 Games, and also receives extensive ad time on Universal platforms. The first sales strategy joint deal by NBC Universal and U.S. Olympic Committee, Delta, number two airline at LAX since 2016, behind American, recently inked a founding partnership at SoFi Stadium pretty close by. United had the exclusive negotiating window, but did not extend. The new mega sponsorship deals are more than 10 times the old, it is said. That's number three. Number two, the NCAA continues to begin their conference championships, but a group is calling on the NCAA to remove fans from the game plan amid coronavirus concerns. National College Players Association, a nonprofit advocating for the rights of safety of collegiate athletes, calling on the NCAA to consider holding the tournament games without fans due to the concerns over the coronavirus. According to USA Today, last week, the group wrote, there should be a serious discussion about holding competitions without an audience present. The NCAA and its colleges must act now. There's no time to waste. And amid concerns that a potential outbreak of the coronavirus in the U.S. could jeopardize major sporting events, the NCAA Sports Science Institute issued memos earlier this week to its members directing schools towards centers for disease control resources while maintaining preparation for the upcoming ncaa men's and women's basketball tournament second person reported dead by the virus on american soil and more uh, everywhere could be a tip-off to the iceberg of calls for canceling or postponing sporting events in the u.s due to the virus that's number two number one Major League Soccer kicks off his 25th season inter-Miami and Nashville, bringing the number of clubs to 26, those expansion clubs, also a pair of teams in the next two years, Austin and Charlotte next year, St. Louis and Sacramento in 2022, increasing the total number of MLS franchises to 30 by then, three times the number it fielded in 2004. America's top pro soccer league is growing rapidly, and Larry Berg, the lead owner of LAFC, the league's most valuable team at $700 million per the Los Angeles Times, suggested the deal and the league could surpass both baseball and the NHL in terms of popularity within the next decade. MLS has been an undeniable success in cities like Atlanta, Portland, and L.A., but the league continues to lack relevance amongst fans in legacy markets like Houston, Dallas, and Denver. And MLS Commissioner Don Garber says turning around struggling clubs in major markets is among his top goals for 2020, along with continuing to grow its fan base, driving new commercial revenue, and positioning the league to cash in on its next media deal. Well, soccer very important. That's three to one. Speaking of soccer, is it more women's sports and sponsorships, or is it more soccer- that is important during Olympics and World Cup, but maybe not as much any other time. But clearly, women's soccer has a seat at the table as well. Steve Baldwin, the majority owner of the Washington Spirit, a professional soccer club, its region is the Washington metro area, And prior to joining the Spirit, he was the chief executive of Cubase, a data analytics firm based in Reston. A proud soccer dad, his daughter plays professional soccer in Portugal. But Steve Baldwin certainly has the resources, the acumen, the entrepreneurialism to make a major commitment in women's sports and women's soccer. Why did he do it? Here's Steve Baldwin. Beyond the scoreboard inside the boardroom Ricardo with majority owner of the Washington Spirit Steve Baldwin how are you I'm doing great Well thank you for this because we talk about soccer from time to time and it is interesting timing because I guess in America the MLS grabs the limelight it's their opening week this next week Correct. and a half a lot of discussion about their collective bargaining agreement and all of that they're run like a really good business Don Garber has been a friend and a, and in many ways a mentor but, you know the soccer world operates in a lot of dimensions in North America as well talk a little bit about the spirit and 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 your level of play and, and where you are today
1: okay so uh, I came into the ownership of the spirit in January of 2019 mm-hmm. uh, what there were a variety of things that attracted me to to get involved um, my daughter younger daughters a player that kind of brought me to the game sure. But uh, I also thought the timing was right from a business perspective to uh, kind of catch, uh, latch onto the wave in the growth of of the women's sport. Last year was a World Cup year that went uh, that went very well for the country and really boosted things within the league. We'll have the Olympics uh, this year to do uh, to do the same type of thing. And as a league, we are the best league in the world, yeah. you know, for for women's soccer. Uh, We had across the league not only the U.S. women's national team players in the league last year, we had another 30-plus players that were in the World Cup. So I always like to say that we are the only league in the U.S. that can make the claim that it's the best league in the world.
0: Well, it's not a bad claim, and it also is a league that is inspiring tremendous growth in the grassroots level when you take a look at not only the league, but obviously Women's World Cup and the Olympics as well. Talk a little bit about the growth of women's soccer at the kids level.
1: So uh, you know, I've 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 lived that. So I okay. you know, my, my younger daughter is twenty three. I saw uh, her grow up in the game and the the growth around youth sports. I believe girls' soccer is the largest sport in the country in terms of female participation, and uh, the game continues to grow. I think Title IX was was a linchpin for that. Uh, you have you know, 300-and-something Division One schools that play, that play women's soccer. And uh, so kids are, are, are aspiring to, to achieve that type of level. Uh, that's just D1. You get to D2 and D3. You have, you have a massive amount of, of uh, kids that aspire to it and, and, and are getting involved with it. So it's, uh, I think the time is great to see the continued growth of the game.
0: So you're obviously attracted to it because of your family and your daughter but you run, ran a very successful entity, Cubase, a data analytics firm in Reston, and you said, all right, that's interesting, but how about if I take on a fairly significant risk and own a piece of, or the majority of, a women's soccer team? Um, The epiphany of actually changing the game because you were now gonna be an owner, when did you morph from
1: fan to wanting to be an owner of a team? So, back in 2014, my daughter was 18 at the time. And uh, she was uh, part of, she was in U.S. youth national team camp. She played in U-20 World Cup that summer. And uh, I got to know the founding owner of the Spirit at that time. And he approached me in 2018, summer of 2018, about taking on a majority role. Uh, I dug into the business model a little bit and decided to do it.
0: Tell me about the business model, the positive aspects that cause you to pull the trigger.
1: So, truth, truth be told, there weren't a lot of positive oh, yeah. aspects about All the right. business model at the time that, that drew me to it. Yeah. Uh, what drew me to it was trying to change the business model. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I walked into a club that had zero sponsorship partners, and I walked into a league that had uh, no TV partners and had um, uh, one major national sponsor being Nike. So I thought the opportunity existed to change that both at the club level, and I'm also spending a ton of time on it at the the league level. For our club, we have now approximately 25 partners. We'll go from zero in revenue um, uh, prior to to my involvement, and this year we'll do a couple million bucks in in local sponsor deals. And uh, that's going to be transformative for for our club. I I had no idea how long it would take to close these deals, uh, and I didn't know coming into it how relationship-driven the business model was, so uh, there's been a ton of time focused on building those relationships, planting the seeds with some folks, and just kind of let them grow over a period of time to, to, to where they close deals. Steve, what's the disconnect now? Is it smaller between
0: every uh, World Cup memory ought to translate into dollars and, of course, the Olympics as well, versus Sponsoring a day-to-day league and the pitfalls of that—is it getting better?
1: I—I I think it is getting better. I think—I think a big thing that, um, as I looked at both our club and the and and the league, is we—I I didn't feel like we sold it properly. You know, we are the best league in the world. Uh, we have incredible athletes. We have the best ed- educated group of professional athletes on the planet, and by kind of changing how we how we sell the excellence of the league it's resulting in, uh, in a lot of good things that are happening for us
0: feeder system obviously it's kids that are growing up but um, how, how is title nine it, it's a difficult question because mm-hmm. title IX in and of itself title nine and future pay for play uh, name image and likeness at the college level mm-hmm. that's all interrelated so just yeah. talk about all of that
1: so, you know, I, I think Title IX created the opportunities, and I think it uh, created the growth both at the youth level, the high school level, and the collegiate level. I don't think it's really driven uh, as much at the, at the professional level in the country, to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, I, I, think the, I think the timing is, is right. You have a whole kind of a coalescing of business opportunities, social awareness and, and importance that is being placed on, on women's sports now that, that hasn't necessarily been there in the past that have created this opportunity for us. And, and now our job is to, to exploit it and maximize it, it. Is it more important, I would assume you'd say both, but is it more important to uh, develop a
0: business and strategic harmony with the women's sports community or the male soccer community?
1: I think it's more important to de- develop relationships with everybody. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been very interesting to me to, to see how that is, has worked this year. You know, we've, uh, if I look at what our club has been involved with, the other professional teams in town, we've had engagement with the Nationals, the Redskins, the Wizards and Caps, the Mystics, uh, college programs in the area, in, in a multitude of sports, and I really think that's what it, what it takes. It, it, I, I think you have to have a mindset that we're not really competing against against each other for the entertainment dollar. It's like there's a big enough pie out there and there's an opportunity to grow the pie and that's what we're trying to do. That
0: certainly fits every interview I've ever ever done with any community or team organizer around the country until it gets down to that last drop of sponsorship. (laughs) Everybody fights over it, clearly. So sponsorship generally and ROI, do you sense that uh, women's sports in general is being treated the way it should television's difficult other than Olympics and World Cup, but obviously you have to use traditional metrics to help sell this. Is it a combination of uh, CSR social responsibility and, and other factors how, how do you close a deal
1: so uh, kind of kind of if I walk through it when, when we uh, we did not have a national TV deal or media deal uh, at the start of 2019. Our league did a deal with, with ESPN post-World uh, post Cup yeah. for a series of 11 or 12 matches. And then we re-entered the market um, to, uh, to, to put, seeking to put in place a multi-year deal uh, with, a, with, a, with media partners. We, um, uh, we were successful in doing that. We will soon be announcing some very critical uh, and very important very strategic and and uh, in many ways remarkable uh, media agreements. T
0: two catalyst catalyst with the Olympics and then moving forward.
1: Yeah, so it'll it'll uh, it'll absolutely uh, uh, have some uh, celebration of, of the Olympics. Uh, the uh, I'm really excited that the first game under this new contract when it's when it's soon announced. Uh, our league opener will be at Audi Field and uh, we will end up packing that place with 20,000 fans uh, there will be a lot of activation around around the event and uh, we're really excited about it. As it relates to sponsors it's, uh, uh, we, we absolutely both touch the marking budget and the CSR budget uh, depending on who the partner, partner is. Um, uh, today People that partners, prospective partners that focus solely on the ROI measurement are not exactly the best fits for us. What what is the best fit are partners that want to get in early, that want to grow with us, that want to kind of lay down a marker in in women's sports and uh, uh, particularly soccer. And so locally we've been very successful. at kind of having that type of approach. Uh, we sell a lot of experiential types of things uh, for potential sponsors in, in how they work with us. That uh, um, one of the things that we also have locally is we did a local uh, TV deal last year with NBC Sports Washington. Mm-hmm. We will be renewing that uh, for for this season and look forward to extending that well into the future. They've been a great partner. Um, so it's to me, it's really, finding the right partners, selling the vision of what we're trying to to accomplish with, with the club and the league, and bringing them in to be part of it.
0: You obviously see your passion. Uh, here's the, kind of the final question for you. Obviously Cubase uh, allowed you to do a lot of this because you have a successful data analytics business that is all basically you. Uh, similarities, challenges, differences, uh, it's kind of an interesting, since this is the business show, yeah. to get your take on that.
1: Yeah, so I, I've been a senior entrepreneur in IT yeah. over the last uh, 30 years. I've built and sold three companies to date, and Cubase is one of two that, that I have right now. The uh, What what I think it has, my my experience in that world has given me, is some vision in terms of how we can bring technology into the league to change the fan experience, improve the player performance, and do some things, uh, kind of where our, our club can be and league can be a uh, innovation lab with, with technology. And so uh, uh, we were pushing that hard. I think, uh, as I said earlier, we had the best collection of of best educated collection of athletes. There are some things we can do with technology to kind of prove things out. Before a partner may want to take it to the NFL. And so we're trying to uh, take advantage of that opportunity as we work with technology partners right now. Well, thanks uh,
0: for the sake of women's sports and women's soccer that Steve Baldwin not only sees a synergy between his businesses and soccer, but he has time and ability to implement all of this. Uh, things are looking up. Steve, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Riccaro. speak with you soon. Steve Baldwin has his hands full and an interesting perspective. The league, if it has owners like Steve and otherwise, clearly in good hands. Now the Sports Tech Minute. Sacramento Kings and the NBA unveiling what they claim to be the world's first self-service bar at Golden One Center later this month. Sports Business Daily this says the team partnered with Israeli beverage tech startup Nina to place the company's internet-connected devices on top of liquor bottles in the venue's suites and lofts. Guests can unlock bottles of liquor at the and then pour their choice of liquor by entering their payment and verified age information into an iPad. Kings piloted the system in mid-January in five suites and one loft. Nina's suite sales during that period contributed to a 4% increase in total liquor sales across all 34 suites at Golden One Center, according to King's president of business operations, John Reinhart. The co-founder and CEO of the company said the company's tech can help venues increase revenue and improve the fan experience, while teams can collect data on fan preferences and usage. Needed tested out the system last year at Angel Stadium, and now testing its devices at TD Garden, Little Caesar Arena, and Keyback, Key Bank Center. That's your Sports Tech Minute.
2: Welcome into the Esports Minute of Keeping Score with Rick Carl. I'm Matt from the Esports Network. The U.S. Armed Forces are focusing on esports. With many popular games already depicting warfare and the biggest demographic being men between 16 and 25, esports seem to be fertile recruiting ground. The U.S. Navy, Army, and Air Force all field esports teams. The U.S. Navy team recently signed deals with Twitch, an online streaming service, ESL, an esports tournament organizer, and Evil Geniuses, a leading esports organization that will help train Navy players. The Navy said they are moving away from TV ads in favor of a digital strategy centered around esports. The U.S. Army has already had esports teams for over a year. The Army team has partnered with Complexity Gaming and the Pittsburgh Knights. The Air Force has partnered with Turner's E-League and joined the Navy in an ESL partnership. In all, the Armed Forces are becoming one of the most expansive sponsors across all of esports. While the decision makes sense to reach their target demographic, some esports executives have declined partnerships as they don't want to build bridges from virtual warfare to the real thing. Now back to Rick Hora.
0: Finally, the power of sports minute. And again, it's a familiar theme and maybe another important twist. David Beckham, Sun Yang, Jeremy Lin are among the many sports stars supporting the Wuhan coronavirus fight. According to the South China Morning Post, Wuhan natives such as Li Na, who donated three million won and boxing champions and others, have followed other Chinese sports stars with no connection to the city but at the epicenter of the deadly virus. Chinese sports media outlet, PP Sports, which has a running total of the financial donation of athletes and teams, more than 17 million won, about 2.5 million as of February 10. The list included a number of Chinese Super League clubs and individual football players and basketball players as well. NBA champion donated Uh, more than one million yuan through his charity foundation, Jeremy Lin. And while many sports figures in China have stepped up to help their country, global efforts to combat the disease have seen such as Chinese-owned Serie A Club Inter Milan, which sent 300,000 masks to Wuhan. Spanish City uh, Side Español delivered 450,000 masks. Messages of support through social media have been prolific, including those from icons like Beckham. Obviously, the world needs all the support we can get from the sports community and otherwise. Well, that's show this week. Why don't you join us next week when we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Riccardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.